Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Schrader. You know, yesterday was Resurrection Sunday, and at the end of my sermon, I was talking about how we have an inheritance in heaven. And 1 Peter 3, 4 explains that you have an inheritance in heaven that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What I want to talk about today is how you can be confident you actually have an inheritance in heaven. How do you actually send treasure to heaven? And to explain this to you, I want to read a parable that I wrote several years ago when I was directing junior high youth at Faith Community. I wrote this parable to help the students understand how to invest treasure in heaven. I based the parable on this book right here, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's a short book. You can read it quickly. I highly recommend it. But this is where I got the idea for the treasure principle. Listen as I read the parable. Once there was a king who had three sons who he sent away to a foreign land to earn their fortunes. He told them all that one day he would summon each of them home without warning. When he called them, they were to come immediately, and they would not be allowed to bring anything with them. Even the clothes they would be wearing would be forfeited for the same garments they first wore to this foreign realm. Upon arriving in their temporary homes, each son found a sparsely furnished room containing a bed, a dresser, a table, and a chair. On the bed was a note from their father which said, Anything you bring into this room will never leave it again. However, anything you send home will be kept for you with interest. The choice is yours. Invest in your temporary residence or in your true home. The king also promised the sons that their daily needs would always be met, no matter how much of their earnings they sent home. The first son stood in the middle of his room, and thought about his father's words and the home he had left behind. He imagined what it would be like to one day return home to hordes of treasures that he had sent ahead. He looked forward to pleasing his father with what he had done and enjoying life in his true home with the things he would say for himself. The second son sat down awkwardly on the chair and decided that he would certainly send things home, but first he would replace this uncomfortable chair with something a little more bearable. The last son cast the letter aside and said, I'll send some stuff home someday, but first I'll buy some things to enjoy my time here. And he promptly left to shop for new furnishings for his quarters. As time went on, each of the sons made a place for themselves in the foreign land. The first became a master carpenter whose services were called called upon from all over. His work was immaculate. And, he, and could be found in the finest palaces. He was sought after by all the aristocracy, and for his work he received riches beyond imagining. Yet his living quarters did not change from the first day he set foot in his room. Every cent was immediately sent home to his kingdom, and he lived sparsely but never in want in his tiny room. As for the second brother, he apprenticed as a tailor and soon was able to own his own shop. Eventually, his designs were turning heads all over the city, and his coffers began to grow. As time passed, it became widely known that lords and ladies simply could not be seen in public unless they were wearing the designs of the king's second son. At first, this son was good about sending a percentage home, but the homes of his customers were so beautiful that soon he began to crave for something more than his simple abode. He then found a more spacious house of his own and set out to decorate it in accord with the same taste and artistry that graced all of his garment designs. 
Soon he realized that an artisan such as himself should have a studio in which to display his wares. After all, should he not be a good steward and have an adequate workplace in which to manufacture and distribute his clothing? It wasn't long before the bills surpassed the money he was sending home, and occasionally he could not even send anything toward his future kingdom. He told himself that that was fine. After all, his father loved him and would understand. He just had to make ends meet. As for the third son, thoughts of his true home soon faded into distant memory. He used his skill as a musician to gain recognition and favor throughout the land. The concerts he would put on were legendary, and people would gather from the four corners of the kingdom just to hear him play. His music brought happiness and comfort to all who heard it, and soon he found that men were willing to pay anything to be serenaded by his melodies. It wasn't long before he was rich beyond all reckoning. He did not even remember the sparsely furnished room that had been his dwelling for the first night in what was then a strange new land. His new home was beyond extravagant. He not only had more rooms than he could sleep in in a year, but his ground seemed to stretch off in every direction forever. Room after room was filled with instruments that had never been used, and case after case contained ancient instruments that would never be played again. This brother did not even know the history behind many of the pieces he collected, for he was much too busy composing new music and giving concerts. However, not to worry, he had an extensive staff who kept everything immaculate and presentable at all times. Then one day, the third brother returned from a concert to find his entire home and all his possessions engulfed in flames. As he ran to his house, he saw his two brothers standing in front of it and staring blankly into the flames. He cried out to them, Help me save my home, as he rushed headlong into the flaming inferno. However, he soon found himself caught up in a powerful grip. At first, he struggled against it. Then he looked up, and recognition turned to shame as he stared into the disappointed eyes of his father. He quickly began to make excuses for himself, saying, I had so much saved that I was going to send home. I just have not had time yet. If you will give me a chance, I can run and get some of those things that I was meaning to send forward, and you can take them home for me. It is just that I've been working so hard, I've not had enough time. To this his father replied, Son, you've had plenty of time, and now it is too late. You have sent nothing home, and though you have lived extravagantly here, you are not a prince in my home. You will be brought back now with those you once called brothers to see what could have been yours, but you will never be able to cross over from your torment into the glory of my kingdom. As he said this, man came forward and dragged the young musician to the waiting ship. The father then turned and beckoned to his other two sons to follow him on board. They walked forward in quiet anticipation, clothed in the same garments they had worn when they first set foot on this foreign land. It seemed only a moment before they were inside of their true home, and their father began to show them the preparations he'd been making for them in their absence. To the second son, he pointed to a small cottage on the seashore as they drew near. At first, his sons could not see it, but as they got closer, it began to take shape in the shadow of the castle that towered over it. His father told him that he would dwell here and rule over the fishermen. It'd be his responsibility to see that everything on the seashore ran smoothly. As they pulled into port, the second son leapt off the ship and ran forward to see all of the treasures he had sent forward with which to furnish his eternal home. However, upon opening the door, he found his fisherman's cottage, though neat and tidy, did not have much more in it than his original dwelling in the foreign kingdom. As he turned to his father with a perplexed look on his face, his father explained to him that he would have liked to have created a grand home for his son, 
but all his energies and greatest treasures had been invested in his last home and not sent forward for his father's use. Then after embracing his second son, he took his oldest forward to his glorious mansion, the likes of which could not be described in the space afforded here. However, it is sufficient to say that the entrance alone could have contained both of the former homes of his brothers many times over. And the joy of dwelling in such a place, in the presence of his father for all of eternity, cannot be described even to the most vivid imagination of men, apart from the quickening of the Holy Spirit. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul explains that we don't all get the same rewards when we get to heaven. The context he's talking about, the, the different work that him and Apollos are doing, and why it's crazy for people to treat them differently, because they're both working for the same kingdom. He goes on and explains this in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul begins in verse 7 by explaining that him and Apollos are not anything. They're nothing. But what's interesting is that they're still going to receive a reward. He says, each of us will receive a reward according to our own labor, in verse 8. So there's going to be a reward, even though we're nothing. What does it mean that we're nothing, but we're going to be rewarded? Well, we're nothing, but we walk in dependence upon the Lord. He works through us. And the works that he does through us are what we are rewarded for. What we're responsible for is casting our cares upon the Lord, relying upon him for strength, and doing work with what he supplies. And when you do that, you're going to have eternal treasure. Now, it only works if it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He says there's no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And so what that means is you're not doing works. You're not doing good things so you'll have treasure in heaven. What happens is you're saved by the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're not adding anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation so these aren't works that you're doing to be saved. These are works you do because you're saved. Now, because you're saved, your identity, your citizenship is in heaven. It says this in Philippians 3.19, Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So people whose end is destruction, like the youngest brother in the story it is told, 
Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. They're focused on earthly things. He was so focused on earthly things, he didn't send anything towards heaven. But what does it say? Our citizenship is in heaven, and that's where our eyes are. You see, the middle brother and the older brother, their eyes were on heaven because that's where they recognized their citizenship as being, and that's what they invested in. See, the foundation of Jesus Christ changes your identity from a citizen of earth to a citizen of heaven. And now you're not working for the things of earth. You're working for the things of heaven. You're waiting for Jesus' return and take you home. Our works, it says, are going to be judged by fire on that final day. And some of them are going to be burned up. But what is it that lasts? What lasts on to eternity? I love the way that C.T. Studd said it. He says this, this life so soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Everything's going to burn up that you do for yourself. Anything's going to burn up that you've done for this life. What you're doing for Christ lasts. Now, what you do for Christ, you do by Christ. You do it by the strength that he supplies. You do it with the resources he's given you. So the way that you invest in eternity is with your time, your talents, and your treasures. The way you spend your time, the way you utilize the skills and abilities and spiritual gifts you have, and your treasures, your possessions, the way that you invest those in eternity determines what's going to be reserved in heaven for you. Unfading, undefiled, anything you send to heaven, just like in the parable, you receive back with interest. Now, I don't want you to hear this and, and think that I'm telling you, you need to invest more in the kingdom. You need to give more to missions, to church, to other organizations. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to have hearts that are oriented towards heaven. Your treasure follows your heart. If your heart is fixed on heaven, if your eyes are looking towards heaven, where your Savior is going to come from, your treasure is going to follow that. And so I'm not giving you any direction about your treasure, your time, or your talents today. What I want you to hear is where is your heart? Is your heart in your forever home? Is your life hidden with God in Christ Jesus? Good. Start investing because he's coming back. Thank you for listening today.